Last week, the amazing Judith um, preached about how to soar on wings like eagles. Anyone remember that? Um, From Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, where it says, but those who hope in the Lord, I think there's a slide for this, those who hope in the Lord, thanks James, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And Judith acknowledged um, in, in what she shared last week, last week that all kinds of things, all kinds of circumstances in our lives can leave us feeling weary. Yeah? All kinds of things can be going on. Um, perhaps you really related to that. Perhaps you still relate to that. Um, perhaps you have been struggling with a situation or a circumstance where basically nothing seems to change, where it just seems to be going on and on. Perhaps it might be um, an illness, an illness that you're experiencing or that someone that you love or care for is experiencing. Or, or maybe it's, it's like a situation at work, a situation that's been going on that feels like it won't change, that you're struggling with. Maybe you've known challenges in this last season in your family, maybe with your children or others in extended family. Or it, it, could be, it could be a temptation that you're struggling with, an area that you're desperate to break free from in your life, but you just feel like you're trapped in this repetitive cycle. Or maybe you're struggling with your finances and with all the bills soaring, you're just, you're wondering how on earth am I going to make ends meet? And you can't see a way out of that situation. A sense of feeling stuck, a feeling like we're powerless to make things change can be one of the key things that actually causes depression in our lives. That sense of helplessness and feeling stuck. And there is a weariness of the soul that so many people are experiencing right now in our society, both inside and outside of the church. Yeah? We know, we, we, we refer to that outside of the church, but when we're honest, it's, it's true for us inside the church as well, isn't there? There is, amongst so many, a weariness in our soul. And um, I know our young people are in with us today. Um, all the evidence is telling us they're not immune from this either. There are mental health challenges amongst our young people like never before. There's a tiredness, there is a weariness, there's a helplessness. So Judith drew on this passage from Isaiah 40. We can rise up above our circumstances. We can rise up above our helplessness. We can rise up above those situations that feel, we feel like we're stuck in, that, almost like that, that, that mud that feels like it's sucking us down. But we can rise up above those circumstances. We can rise up with God and we can see things from a different perspective. Like the eagle 
effortlessly soaring. That's what's so attractive about that image, isn't it? Because the, the eagle isn't flapping furiously, desperately trying to stay up in the air, but the eagle is soaring. The eagle is gliding on those thermal currents that lift it higher and higher. And just like that, there is a way that we can live differently with God. Despite our challenges, despite our circumstances, despite the things that feel like they will not change, we can live differently in relationship with God. In a way where we do not become overwhelmed. And where we're set free from those burdens that we're carrying. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Do you know, I don't think we're going to be able to walk very far over the next couple of days without feeling faint. Um, we're told, like, I don't know, 36, something like that, degrees for Manchester. Now, I know some of you are a bit more used to this um, than some of us pasty white people. Um, so pray for us. Hashtag pray for the whites. Um, but, but, you know, when it's hot, when the, when the sun is shining on you, just doing anything can feel difficult, can't it? It can feel wearisome. And so again, a fantastic image here that we will run. We will run. Sometimes it feels like you're just running and running and will this ever end? But here's a promise. You can run and not grow weary. You can keep running your whole life. It's not like when will the race ever end so that I can have a rest? No, you can keep running and not grow weary. You can keep walking and not faint. Hope. Hope. That's what it comes down to. Hope. Some of your translations say those who wait on the Lord. But it's this active waiting. It's not just kind of waiting around, drumming our fingers, wondering what's going to happen. But it's an active waiting, an anticipation, a trust, a hope in God. And Judith reminded us and pointed out to us that it is hard to hope in someone that you do not know. And she asked us the question, how on earth can we hope in the Lord, the King of the universe, the King of our lives? How can we, how can we hope in Him if we do not know Him? It's when we know Him as loving when we met him and encountered him and know and believe that he is the God who loves us. It's when we know that he is gracious. We don't just know it as a theory, but we've encountered it and we've experienced it. And we've come to know it and believe it. it's who he is. He's in our lives. We're close to him. He's loving and he's gracious. It's when we know that he is compassionate. We felt his compassion We've experienced his compassion. It's when we know that he is faithful. We've experienced his faithfulness again and again. When we believe with all our hearts because we know him that he is steadfast and he is trustworthy. 
And we know that he will be true to his word. And that he will always do what he has promised that he will do. That he will always be the perfect father that he has revealed himself to be. He reveals himself to be a perfect father. And when we know him, and when we experience him, and when we encounter him, we're no longer comparing him to our earthly impressions of fathers who may or may not have failed in all kinds of ways or let us down. But when we know him as that perfect father, we know that we can put our hope and trust in him. And when we put our hope in him, we find our perspective. If we want to soar on wings like eagles, we need to give ourselves to knowing God better, to spending time with him. We need to talk with him. We need to spend time reading his word. Because it is our relationship with him that will enable us to soar on wings like eagles. So following on from all of that brilliant message from Judith, I wanted to spend a little time today digging a little deeper. And I wanted to ask us a question, what are we hoping for? What are we hoping for? The context in Isaiah 40, that, where that verse came from, um, about soaring on wings like an eagle, well, the context is, is that God is offering comfort and hope to the people of Israel. Now, God's people in the Old Testament, they knew that God had promised them a glorious future with him, in relationship with him. If only they would walk faithfully in relationship with him. If only they would be true to that relationship. If they would give themselves faithfully to him, they knew he's promised this amazing and glorious future. But they had lived unfaithfully. And that's the story of the Old Testament, really, that from the beginning there's this promise that God wants to live in relationship with us and, and we reject that relationship. And then we see that played out again and again through the story of Israel, how God is still reaching out, saying, I want to have this amazing future with you in relationship with you as my people. And we just constantly fail to live faithfully in relationship with God. They've broken their relationship with him. And as a result, everything around them, all of their circumstances, all of their situation was looking pretty bleak. And Isaiah himself was prophesying through much of the book of Isaiah. See, we love the, we love the, the rays of hope. Oh, absolutely, of course we do. We love the rays of hope in the book of Isaiah. But it's also full of lots of prophecy of God saying, all of this stuff is going to fall apart and go wrong. Because you just won't live faithfully in relationship with me. And then these, these rays of hope come that says, but I'm going to make a way. Despite your unfaithfulness, I'm going to make a way. So these predictions about the hopelessness of their immediate situation are interspersed with hope for the future. Hope that God would restore his relationship with his people. Hope that would ultimately extend beyond that one ethnic people group 
to encompass all the peoples of the earth. Because God created us all. And he loves us all. And he longs that we would all be reconciled with him. A chance to know him as a father and to live as his children. But this is something I really want us to notice and pay attention to. In the midst of the political oppression and suffering, Isaiah proclaims that those who wait and hope in the Lord will rise up on wings like eagles. But the kingdom still fell. There's this amazing prophecy. God's people are going to rise up on wings like eagles. And yet, the Assyrians and then later the Babylonians still invade. And the Israelites are taken into exile. If they thought that waiting and hoping in the Lord would result in them resisting their enemies and turning them back at their borders, then they would have been bitterly disappointed. Not that it would be wrong for them to pray for peace and prosperity. I mean, who hopes and prays for hard times? Nobody longs for difficulty and suffering and strife. But sometimes we can find ourselves hoping for things for which we have to be honest that there is no guarantee. Sometimes the things that we hope for and long for, it's not wrong to pray for them. It's good to pray for, it's good to pray for, for blessings. And, because you see, God loves you. God loves you and he loves to bless you. He loves to do good things in your life. But we've got to be really honest. We don't always understand or know what the best thing is. And we pray today, you cause all things to work together for my good. That takes a lot of trust, doesn't it? When we're in the midst of things seemingly going wrong all around us, it takes a lot of trust to say, I don't understand it. The things I was hoping for don't seem to be happening right now. But I trust that you cause all things to work together for my good. Notice it doesn't say all things are good. He says, it says you cause all things to work together for my good. It's not that it's wrong to hope and pray for certain things to go a particular way. It's good to pray for healing when someone is sick. It's good to pray for financial provision where there is lack. It's good to pray for the blessings of God where people are experiencing challenges and difficulties. But there are some things which we have to be honest and say, we, we don't have a guarantee that things will work out the way that we're hoping for. Our trust and our hope is in something more fundamental that actually sets us free to hope and pray for all of those things. Because God does not guarantee us peace and prosperity in this life. I'm really sorry if I'm bursting anyone's bubble right now, but it's best that we hear the truth. 
John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus promises you that in this world, you will have trouble. What a promise. What a promise from Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, Jesus does not contradict himself. He's not contradicting the word of God here. There's no guarantee in the word of God that you will live a life filled with peace and prosperity. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have challenges. You will experience difficulties. Our hopes about our individual situations and circumstances are not unimportant to God. It's not that he isn't moved by your challenges and your difficulties and your frustrations and your sufferings. He loves you and he cares for you. And he wants you to be blessed because you're his child. But the Bible's promises about a better future in relationship with God shouldn't be applied out of context to our individual circumstances. As if those particular outcomes are all that we're hoping for. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 19, Paul says this, if only for this life, We have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. If this is what our hope, if this is what our faith, if this is what our gospel amounts to, about the outcome of an individual situation or circumstance in life, then Paul says we're to be more pitied than anyone. That's strong and powerful stuff, isn't it? If many of the things that we legitimately, understandably hope and pray for, are nonetheless not guaranteed. We should be clear about what is guaranteed. Shouldn't we? We should be clear about what is absolutely unquestionable and undeniable. What's our cast iron guarantee that then sets us free to hope and pray and believe For all these other things, because we know that Jesus has made it all possible. It sets us free to hope and pray for those things. Because now we know we can hope and pray for these things as well. But if we don't see the outcome we're looking for, it's not going to destroy our faith. Because we never claimed a guarantee. We know what we can stand, what is guaranteed. And then we're going to stretch ourselves in faith to believe for the rest. So what is guaranteed? What are we hoping for? Because that's the hope that will sustain you in a time like this. That's the hope that will truly enable you to rise up on wings like an eagle. Jesus died on a cross. And he took all the rejection of God. That we as human beings are responsible for from the beginning of creation. All our rejection of God. All our rejection of relationship with God. That ends up manifesting itself in all kinds of ways. All kinds of choices we make to live our life our way rather than God's way. All that is broken. All that is damaged. All that is falling apart in our world. We believe can ultimately be traced back to our rejection of relationship with God. To us saying, no, we don't need you. 
We'll do things our way. We'll go our own way. We'll be in charge. We don't have to live faithfully as your sons and daughters. We don't need you. We're going off. We're doing our own thing. And all of that and all the ways that it ends up showing up in people's lives, whether it's in selfishness, whether it's in greed, whether it's in violence or oppression, whether it's injustice, and whether it's in arrogance or pride, whatever it is, all of it can be traced back to our rejection of relationship with God. And Jesus took all of that on himself on a cross. And he died on our behalf. He took all of our guilt and our shame. And three days later, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead and he once and for all destroyed all the powers of evil that could keep us separate from relationship with God. All the power of sin and rebellion, our rejection of God that had by this time had gained a hold over us. We were slaves to our sin and rebellion, but Jesus set us free. He rose from the dead and he beat its power over our lives. And in dying and in raising again, Jesus proclaimed that he would one day return to this earth and everything would be brought back into perfect relationship with God. That everything, not just us as human beings, but all of creation would be reconciled to God, would live in harmony with God. And as a result, there would be no more mourning or crying or pain. And the old order of things would have passed away. And there would be no more global warming. And there would be no more destruction of the planet. Everything will exist in this beautiful harmony. Everything will be as it should be. New heavens and a new earth. A perfect, restored creation. It's an amazing promise. Where God's will is done all over the face of the planet. We call it his kingdom. Where he rules with love and mercy and peace and justice. I want to live in a world that is fully reconciled to God. I want to live in a world where everything is the way that God says it should be. I don't know. I don't, I don't think the wasps are going to sting me in the new creation. I want to live as part of this beautiful world where everything is bringing glory back to our awesome and majestic King Jesus, who is perfection, who is perfection, perfect love, perfect holiness, perfect righteousness. He's beautiful and he's glorious and, and, and everything in all of the heavens and all of the earth. There'll be nothing that is not, um, that doesn't recognize his beauty and his glory and his majesty. Everything will exist for him and we'll be caught up in the wonder of it all and we will exist for eternity in perfect relationship with God perfect relationship with God where you are loved like you've never experienced before where you know that love fully where you are fully known and you fully know him you live in this beautiful perfect relationship where you feel no lack 
in any way whatsoever. Where you're no longer thinking, oh, I wish I could change this about me. I wish I could change that about me. Or I'm frustrated or I feel ashamed about this. Or I feel unworthy. And You won't know any of those feelings anymore. You'll just live forever in beautiful, perfect, harmonious relationship with your Father in heaven. And the gospel we preach, the hope that we hold out to your neighbors and your friends and your family members, the people in your community, the hope that we hold out is that we can enter into that future here and now. That we can have a guaranteed place in that future that we can know God through his son, Jesus Christ, here and now. And we're waiting, we're hoping in the Lord for a conclusion, for a finale that is yet to come. And yet, because we have the certainty of that future, because we're, we're so fully convinced and persuaded. We've put all of our hope and our trust in him. That he is going to come and restore all of us into perfect relationship with himself. Because we're certain about that. Because we know that Jesus has died and he's risen and he's coming again. Because we know that our future is secure and certain in him. And we will spend eternity with him. Then we can endure whatever comes our way. And we can pray with hope and faith and expectation for more and more signs and miracles and demonstrations of his power. Knowing that whatever happens, nothing can take that future away from us. Nothing can take away our hope in him. The way to guarantee our part in this beautiful, glorious future is to put our hope and trust in Jesus. He is the only one who can make us right with God. So let's just take a moment and close our eyes. Right now, if you have never taken that decision and you want to, you can make that decision right now in your heart. And you can say, God, I believe what I just heard, that Jesus died for me, that he took all of my rejection of you, and that he offers me a right relationship with you, and I want to say yes to that. I want to say yes to that. I want to follow you. I want to give my life to growing in relationship with you, and I want to be part of your future for our world. Make a decision here and now to follow him. Ask him to forgive you for living your life apart from him and commit your life to following him for your entire future. And if you've done that in this moment, then I want to invite you to come and talk to me at the end because I'd love to introduce you, maybe some people that can help you to grow in that decision. And if you, for whatever reason, have found yourself recently wandering maybe not living the reality of that decision, then you can make a decision in this moment to recommit your life to following Jesus. Now I know 
Many of you listening to this message already know this truth. But it's so important that we consistently remind ourselves of this truth. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, um, I um, ministered at the burial and the memorial service of Joseph Whiteman. Um, Joseph, um, many of you um, will remember, um, just such a, a hero of our church community. Um, a man full of faith. So many wonderful things that we could say about Joseph. But he's died. He's gone to be with Jesus. It's, I don't want to depress anyone this morning, but unless you're still alive when Jesus comes back, it's coming to us all. It's coming to us all. It's certain. Unless we're still alive when Jesus returns, then it's certain. And it kind of, kind of puts a perspective. When you go to celebrate a, the life of a Christian who's lived a long life like Joseph, 94 years old, a life lived for the glory of God, and as an example, it's, it's a wonderful thing, but it gives you that perspective because you realize we're here for a moment, and then we're gone. And what's it all about? And what, do we, what is our legacy if it is not a hope of an eternal future? This hope that we have is eternal. And it's like you rise up on those thermal currents like an eagle and you soar above the heartache and the worry and the anxiety, maybe even the depression, the worry and the pressures of the trouble that you're having at work, of the difficult relationship situation that is, that is just huge and you can't see a way around it, the financial challenges the disaster that is your bank account, the health issues that you're facing, the disappointment you have when the diagnosis comes. And even though you cannot guarantee the way any of those situations are going to outplay, you remember that nothing, absolutely nothing, in all of creation is able to separate you from the love of God in Christ. Nothing can take away your eternal relationship with God. The world, the enemy can throw anything it likes at you and nothing will be able to separate you. You know when Amaka got locked out of the house. This is the beautiful thing. She was able to trust and hope in God that he would make a way because I know that Amaka knows that even if she spent a week locked out of her house, it would not take away her eternal relationship with God. We hope and we trust and we're more free to hope and trust 
for the amazing little miracles, for the the signs of God's favor and goodness, because we haven't made our faith dependent on those things. We actually experience more and more of them the more our faith is established in what we are guaranteed for. Let's read that promise from God's word together as I bring this time to a close. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read quite a long passage. It'll be on the screen or you can read in your own Bible. Romans 8 from verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it. We wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Here we go. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your face we for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered asleep a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors, not because we prayed and shouted really loudly. Not because of our spiritual strength and prowess. 
we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For, because I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If all your purpose and identity comes from being loved by God, and if your greatest hope for the future is a world fully reconciled with the love of God, then ultimately nothing can touch you and nothing can disappoint you. Ultimately, if your greatest sense of identity and purpose comes from being loved by God, and if your greatest hope for the future is a world fully reconciled with the love of God, then nothing can touch you. Of course you will still feel the pain of painful situations, but you will have a hope, a sure and certain hope that no one can take away from you that will always lift you higher. A hope that no situation, however painful, can destroy. If we throw all of our hope and energy into hoping for the things of this world, then we risk becoming disillusioned and disappointed and perhaps even our faith in God growing cold. But if our hope is in the gospel of Jesus and his resurrection, and his coming kingdom, where everything is reconciled in beautiful, loving relationship with God, then that will transform our lives. We will soar on wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and will not faint. I may hope for all kinds of things in this world, but only one hope is certain. If we will come to him through Jesus, then nothing will separate us from God's love.